Today's reading is Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. It can be found on page 937 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she put out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, if you're if you're brand new to City Life this week, um, let me start by apologizing. <laughs> And just to say this, um, it was not planned that today we would talk about money in the sermon um, and have this passage just was the one for this week um, in the lectionary. And it was not, you know, planned that it would coincide with having a financial update. That was just, this is the week in the schedule that that's supposed to happen. Um, nor that we're kind of in an urgent place financially as a church. So all these things sort of come together. I'm going to call that like, it, it's supposed to happen, but for those of you who are, who are new and it's like, oh my gosh, all this church does is talk about money, um, I just you know, want to kind of facetiously say sorry, but also say you might be surprised at how I always feel like money, when Jesus starts talking about it, it gets, it gets deep really fast and it gets into our hearts really fast. There's something about getting into our hearts through our wallets that just happens and, and Jesus seems to know that, so... Um, <laughs> Will you join me as I open in prayer? Our gracious God, as we come into this room, we come from very different places, and we ask that you would join us and speak through these words of your son, Jesus. We come maybe with doubts, with grief, with pain. Uh, We come with trust issues. We come with... um, We come with loneliness... We come with stories that relate to rejection and alienation. And others of us sit here, some of us maybe sit processing some of those really tough things and others of us sit and we we might find ourselves very grateful and in a super good place. We might be giving you credit for things because we prayed and you answered and it was so refreshing to remember that you are real. And from all these different places, these different kinds of spiritual conditions that we find ourselves in, we all look to your grace um, because we're more of a mess than we care to admit. And 
your grace, your gracious story of Scripture says that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, in Christ we're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Will you help us to believe that and know that's true and then uh, help it to sink in deep and change our, our lives and to bring about peace in the place of anxiety and to bring about hope in the place of discouragement and despair. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you, um, what should we do, a show of hands? How many of you have financial excess? That's kind of a, that's kind of a mean question, yeah. See, some of you know me well enough that you're just like, I'll throw up my hand. He's, he won't be mean about this, but some of you are like, I don't know if I want to. Some of you know you're not raising your hand. You're like, no, I don't. And others of you are like, well, if I raise my hand, would somebody then approach me after the surface? <laughs> But just for the record and for the podcast listeners, there were about two and a half hands that went up, okay? I'm not sure exactly how many, but that's about how many. And maybe we'll ask that question again as we get to the end of thinking about this passage. There's a show that my wife and I got into watching a couple of years ago called Breaking Bad. And a lot of you have seen it, some of you haven't. And so this um, high school chemistry teacher, because he has cancer and has to go into treatments and can't afford them, he decides to do the obvious thing when you can't afford cancer treatments and begin cooking crystal meth uh, as a way to pay for it. Because he's a chemistry teacher and he can make the purest stuff out there. So uh, in this movie, or the show, um, ends up with him having more money than he knows what to do with. And so there's some really fun scenes that they play around with where in one scene it's, it's these guys who work for him, you know, these tough guys, and, and they're stacking these $100 bills about the size of a California king bed in a storage unit, you know, about this high, just stacks and stacks of money. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. And somebody says, you know, you've got to figure out what to do with all this extra money. And then eventually all the money ends up in 55-gallon drums buried in the desert somewhere, and he's got the coordinates on a lottery ticket, the GPS coordinates. More money than you know what to do with. Excess. I've only talked to one person before in my life who said out loud um, that, 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 you know, and it was talking about his past and saying, you know, I got to, to a point in that line of work, which was like investments and banking, where he said, I had, we, my wife and I, we had more money than we knew what to do with. I've only heard that once. That is an unusual thing to hear somebody say. Because it's unusual, no matter how much you have, to feel like that's actually true. And so this question of, do you have excess? Mm, I don't know. Like, is there a point when it becomes clear that you do or not? And we see Jesus doing something here. And maybe you're already guessing where this goes, where he kind of surprises us with the answer as he observes what he observes um, in this story. So... Let's talk about this in terms of three quick things. There's the surprise of excess. There's the exposure of excess. And there's the release of excess. All these things flow out of this very brief story. So first, the surprise of excess. Um, And as you look at this in verse 41, this is what we read. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I just want to read that much and just stop. There's a a surprise that is found, but it's only after Jesus plops himself down as the generosity surveillance. 
Did you notice this? Does this make you a little bit uncomfortable about Jesus? That he's, you know, he, it's like he goes to the place where people are just giving away, you know, doing, doing that really hard work, but it's kind of private, right? Like how much, I mean, and Jesus is like this. <laughs> oh, see that? See that one? You know, it's it, this feeling of, really? And he seems to be comfortable, play, pay, you know, just getting in there, getting his hands dirty with these issues of money. Um, you notice if you read lots of these stories in the New Testament, you know, we've got him dealing with Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, and, and directly going to Zacchaeus to interact with him and to befriend him. And then Zacchaeus responds with declaring how much he's going to give away. Um, Jesus confronts a rich young man about what, how he should give away all. He just tells him how much to give away. Sell all you have and then come follow me. He's always, he's accused of hanging out with tax collectors too much. And one of his own closest disciples, who we know as an apostle, Matthew, was a tax collector. And we know, and we figure Jesus had to have known, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say he knew, but the other disciples knew that Judas was the kind of the treasurer of the group, you know, had the, had the money purse for the dis- disciple group, Jesus' group. And also was kind of doing one for me, one for you kind of thing in the, in the purse as well. And Jesus had to have known that was going on just because of how into these issues he seems to be. So as he, as he gets down, in a sense, on his haunches and watches people dropping money in, where do his eyes settle? Isn't it interesting where his eyes settle? Where, do, where would you think his eyes would settle? Where do our eyes settle? Well, we, you know, we love to to look at things that are impressive. We love to notate people who are big, generous donors and philanthropists. And clearly this passage says that was going on. There are these rich people that threw large amounts in and Jesus just kind of, no, that's not, that's not what I'm paying attention to. In fact, what he looks at is this scarcely noticed, insignificant by all standards of culture, uh, this woman who's a widow, which means that she has lost uh, her method of staying ahead in life. She is out of the loop in terms of the climbing the ladder because she's a widow. And that's where Jesus' eyes look, to the one with failed hopes, who's impoverished and who is giving. Where do our eyes settle? Where do our eyes settle? I mean, when we, if, if at all, if we get down on our haunches and we kind of start looking at this issue of giving and maybe we, you know, where do our eyes settle? They settle on big, impressive things, don't they? We love to share stories. I feel like I'm often hearing versions of a story that goes something like this. Oh, yeah, so-and-so, um, you know, they were so smart and ingenious and they just knew, you know, which couple of stocks where they just had this sense and they could see through the thing and they invested. And sure enough, like they, you know, they got really wealthy because they did this and this and they carved that out for themselves. And I feel like versions of that kind of story of someone kind of just knowing or having an angle and just doing just the right things and we go, wow, that person, they really got themselves set up perfectly financially and wouldn't it be great if, you know, I could do that too. The savvy investor. You know, if a movie starts out, just imagine how this would be. If you're watching a movie and it starts out and it's got a character who's likable and you're, you know, the, the movie makers want you to like this person but they're, they're, um, they're just on the street impoverished. They seem charming, smart, and likable and all this, but they're homeless. They don't have anything. That's how the movie's starting. What do you think is going to happen in this movie? 
What's our cultural storyline? Well, the, the thing that needs to happen is going to happen. They're going to get more money. They're going to they're make it, you know, because we like them, and that's what's supposed to happen. That's our storyline. I caught myself in a conversation with somebody this week um, talking about, oh, that's what, you know, that's what those kind of people, they, oh, they, they make, you know, lots of money, like this, that line of work is like this much. And then my reply was, well, yeah, but, you know, that yearly salary is like a weekly salary for some of the NBA players that I like to watch on TV. You know, that's like, so, you know, it's like the, my eyes and our eyes in this conversation, they just kind of keep going up and Jesus' eyes kind of ignore all that and they, they come down. Um, about a month ago, uh, I was in my car with my kids and there was a woman with a cardboard sign and she seemed old Um, maybe she was 70, maybe she was 50, depending on how hardened her life has been, but she really looked like she didn't have anything and she had this sign. And um, I was slow to notice it. Maybe that's a whole other sermon. But one of my kids, as we sort of, the light went green, said like, should we maybe give her something? And so I realized we had something and so we went around the block and, and I gave her some money and then um, that was just cool to celebrate my, my child's, you know, impetus on that. But then uh, about a week later, I came by to the same place on my bike, and I had a- we had asked her name the first time. Her name was Caroline. And so on my bike a week later, I, I get there. Now I'm eye to eye, and there's not the protective covering of a car. And I said, hi, Caroline, how are you doing? And she had this, some kind of pastry or a big loaf of bread in her hand that she was eating and she's smiling, and she, she said, oh, I'm good. And, and I think she liked the fact that somebody knew her name. And she looked at me, and she goes, hey, do you want some? You, here, take some. And she started to kind of try to break some off for me. And I got a bike helmet on, and I got a bag, and I'm like, you know, and I, and of course, kind of horrified that I even would take some. I, I don't need that bread. I almost wish I would have taken some as like a just maybe I needed to just look at that and learn from that. Almost like encase that piece of bread in a frame and just look at it every day and go, wow, that's kind of what Jesus does in this story. He takes something like that and just kind of says, let's encase this in a frame for 2,000 centuries of Jesus followers to look at and say, huh, she has excess? Huh. I have any excess? It's a surprise, isn't it? And then there's, the, there's exposure of excess. Secondly, there's an exposure that's happening. We don't like to be exposed. But when this widow, when her action is pointed out and examined, something is exposed. And what it is, as Jesus says at the end, she gave, um, how did, what does it say? It says, this poor widow has put more into the treasure than all the others. She's the one that gave the most. That's what's exposed. That's what's revealed. We have all kinds of things that we say as to why we maybe don't give more or we don't you know, give away at all. And all these reasons kind of, they stack up and they sound very reasonable. If I, if I give any more, then I won't have anything for uh, my kid's college education. If I give any more, I won't have anything for retirement if I give anything more I won't have enough to do that trip that's really important that we've been planning for for a long time if I give any more um, and you go on you go on and you on go on you know my grocery budget is this if I give any more do I cut into that I mean how do 
I can't give any more. And this woman in Jesus' story, in the story that we're reading, if anyone ever had such a valid point of, if I give any more, then it was this woman. Jesus says she gave all that she had. If anybody ever had a reason, you and I, if we're sitting next to her, our reason and our logic and someone, you know, if I said to you, hey, here's this woman over here and I'd like you to talk to her about how she uses her money, you know, like 99% of you would say, save that so that you have food, so that you do not give that away. And yet what's exposed, she gives away. Um, And Jesus is exposing kind of this, this difference of she is giving away more and the statistics continue today to reveal the same thing. Over and over again, studies come out and you know how they go. Basically, the more, the more you climb up in terms of wealth, the lower the percentage becomes. Almost each little increment, the lower percentage is that you, that you give away. There's a new study out that I read this week that, that says, you know, as we come out of the recession, people who make above, I think so how it went is 200,000 and above, So those folks surveyed since the recession have given, even though, you know, times have gotten better for them and for everyone, they have given 4.6% less than before things got better. So so things got better, and in that time, they started giving a lower percentage. And then for people under $100,000 a year, things have gotten better, and their percentage went up 4.5% of giving. Just kind of, you know, just a nut. You've heard these before. The wealthier you get. And this is, what, this is what is exposed here by what Jesus looks at. And now, just to really seal the point on what is exposed in this. In verse 44, when Jesus says, they, gave out, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything in. All she had to live on. The dramatic point that's exposed is, what is your excess? Everything. Everything you have. You know, if if she is the model, if Jesus looks at all these examples and says, "Now, now look at this beautiful picture of generosity. Look at my kingdom at work. Look at someone who's really trusting in God. He looks at someone who's, basically the lesson is, everything this person has is excess, and they're living like it. They're living like it. She's actually doing something that exposes that. So, so a true story, just to, to keep exposing this concept. A true story that a woman comes to a church, and the first thing she does is she asks, she's a single mother. She's um, on the edge of losing her place where she lives. She has very little. And she comes to the deacons of the church, and she says, um, I need help for my rent. I need about $90, let's say. And they help her because they have a policy in place and that's what they do and they help her. And this maybe has to happen a couple of times, but let's, let's also note that the, what the deacons see, because the deacons are the ones that maybe that, that look at the money and count it and put it and bring it to where it goes into the bank account, and they see something also happening. That the same woman is carefully writing checks when, you know, maybe it's Social Security or maybe it's disability, but when this money comes in that she has, she's writing a check that's written exactly to the penny because it's a tithe, it's an exact amount, and it's coming in. So as she's asking for this rent help, 
she's a follower of Jesus, and she also is getting things, getting some income sources, and she's taking of that and giving it to God and his work in the church. What does that expose? And isn't that, shouldn't she just not do that? Isn't that impractical? Wouldn't you advise, no, 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 wait till you, wait till you have some excess before you start being generous. You don't have excess. You get a pass. But this is the kind of thing that I think Jesus lifts up and says, that's not, that's something deeply spiritual happening there. This is someone who could lose their apartment, but they'd rather lose that than lose their trust and dependence on God. So they're going to keep doing, they're going to keep being faithful and then let God's, let the circumstances play out. And when they have need, they will ask who they can, but they will keep being faithful and not, not just quit the generosity thing because it's practical. In a sense, what I, what I think we need to do, and what Jesus kind of makes clear, is that we need to take an example like that and just put that side by side with our own generosity and our own trust. That's the, I mean, that's the, look, it's, it's painful to be, to have this exposure. It's painful to have someone look in. In a sense, Jesus wants to kind of look in to your financial practices. It's painful. It's, you know, when you go to the, if you've ever had to go to the doctor for something kind of personal, maybe a physical, and what might happen is, you, you know, uh, the nurse might come in or whoever comes in first and say, okay, well, you know, now I'm going to leave, but why don't you undress and then the doctor will come in. And the doctor comes in and, you know, maybe you took like one layer off or something. And the doctor says, I don't know, why don't you go ahead and, um, you know, undress so that we can check things out. Like we're going to, and you might take another layer off and then kind of, oh, oh, these pesky things too? Oh, okay, I guess I'll, you know, almost like it's just so terrifying to be exposed. And we have a lot of that with this. I understand. But maybe this last... um, this last bit here will help in terms of understanding how and why there's even the safety to, to go there. And that's the release of the excess. Um, let me tell you another true story. Somebody comes to a church. They've come from churches that are really emphasizing on you have to give exactly 10% of your income and maybe the church says pre-tax, and maybe the church says post. You know, that's a kind of like a, I'm not sure which one is it. But, you know, so maybe, but maybe they say which one that's supposed to be. They start coming to this church, and they're writing checks every other week. You know, when the paycheck comes, they're writing a check, and so, you know, it's, it's uh, whatever. It's two sixty-three and 84 cents. It's down to the penny. And they're coming for a few years, but at this church, um, and it's not so much this church doesn't talk about tithing, but at this church there's just this constant message of God's grace. There's this constant message of um, you don't get to God through your performance. You don't get to God through perfectly following every, every rule. God came to you and rescued you. You're already in. And if you discover that, it'll start to blossom and bloom if you can finally have the peace. You might even follow God better once you know how much he's already got you through the work of Jesus on the cross. So let's say this person's in a church like that. After a couple years, those checks, they're not to the penny anymore. They're, you know, instead of 263.74, it's 300. 
A couple weeks later, it's 250. A couple weeks later, it's eh, 600. What has happened? You might say, ah, insignificant. I would say very significant. And that's, I think, why Jesus so often talks about money because it's, it's just a place where you can see what's happening underneath the surface. So no, not one way or another what I, wanna, you know, what I or someone else would want to see on a check, but sometimes that exposes some dramatic change that's happened. And I think that it's, you know, some, some of you, maybe you've seen some of these passages in the Bible, and maybe you've wondered about this dramatic behavior, such as in the, the book of Acts after Jesus ascends, and we read about the community, and it says things like Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says... Um, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Um, And then let's see. And the Lord added daily numbers to them daily, those who were being saved. And then two chapters later, um, there's another place where it starts talking about this. It says, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. From time to time... Those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money to the, of the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Um, what has happened? I mean, this is like the Bible's guide not towards investing but to divesting. What is happening? Well, what we say happens here is that as God's grace gets into your life, you realize that what you were thinking of money as what it does for you Uh, that changes. It no longer is this thing that provides this kind of security that you were imagining it provides because your security has now been found. As the gospel of Christ gets deeper into your heart, you realize, what am I agitating about? What am I calibrating about? What am I being so fastidious and worried and tense and, oh, it's a money thing? Ah, I'm anxious now. Suddenly, as the gospel creeps in and seeps in, it's, it's like, oh, those, I'm not as agitated. And not as, oh, what the heck? Let's give that away. The gospel comes into, especially in the early church, this is true. Um, in, the, in the early church, in the culture around the early church, it was common to hoard your money and give away your body in terms of sexuality. Hoard your possessions and your money, give away yourself sexually. But the early church... They, they hoarded and protected themselves sexually and they gave away themselves financially. It switched. So on the one hand, you're, you know, the culture is being conscientious about money but promiscuous about their bodies. Christians come in and something shifts and now they're being conscientious about their bodies and licentious about their money. They were being guarded about their money. Now they're being, you know, now they're releasing. They're being promiscuous with their funds. Well, what happens in both cases, what we use, what, we, what, our, what the world tends to use sexuality for and use money for has now shifted and now changed it. I'm no longer using this thing to get my satisfaction, to get my wholeness, to figure out who I am. I now know who I am. I now have figured this out. I now have my security. So now both things change, and it just happens that they kind of change in the opposite directions. That's what's happened. You know how in Harry Potter, um, in those er- early books, he finds out that he has, um, and Dan's speaking next week, so you can guarantee this is a teaser for some more Harry, more Harry Potter next week. Um, but this is just a teaser. You know how Harry Potter finds out he's got this, uh, this, this like unlimited 
uh, bank account in Gringotts full of gold bars, I think, is what it, or whatever, galleons. Um, and it's just like, you know, isn't that what we all would dream tomorrow would happen? Oh, it turns out, hey, here's the key to the deposit box. That's what Harry Potter has. That's what Christians, li- if you look at the, the early church in Acts chapter 2 and 4, that's what, li- that's what their actions are seeming to portray. These people are, the way they're giving away promiscuously their money, they must have some secret bank account somewhere. Yeah, yeah, sort of, right? Sort of, yeah. That's kind of what happens. And that's what this woman is acting. That's what this woman, this woman is acting ridiculous. She gives away all she has. It's survival, come on. Get smart. No, she's got something. And it's just a foretaste. When, as Jesus points this out, he's giving you a foretaste of what is possible and his disciples a foretaste of what's going to happen. As he goes, to, as he goes in through the suffering and death and then resurrection, and that becomes the new security, the new bank account of the Christian church. I have in my pocket, you see me reaching here, I have a stack of some prayers left over from probably last season of Lent. And they're all the same. It's the money prayer. And this is how it goes. I'll, leave, um, I'll put these in the back so you can grab them if you want one. God of riches, who owns all the wealth of the world, my worry about money betrays my lack of trust in you. I have found it easier to depend on financial security than on you. Instead of being satisfied by your bottomless love or boundless love, Financial security is often my idol. I worry about trusting only in you. Will I have to struggle? If I give away more, are you real enough to provide? God, all I need in life is your love, the best security of all. You are rich, and you will provide what I need. Please let my experience of your rich grace be so good that my grip loosens over my possessions and I become more unselfish with all that I have. Deepen my sense of complete security in your forgiveness of my sins. Help me to lose my fear of struggle, knowing and believing that if you allow me to face difficulty, it is for your good purpose in my life, perhaps even to grow my faith. That's the money prayer. I'll put some in the back. How are you going to proceed? And God will impress his way upon your heart if you give him some space to work on you. How will you allow Jesus maybe to just have a look? (laughs) Have a look at what's going on in your generosity quadrant. How are you going to let things be exposed? And how are you going to release? You know, the simplest response that I could recommend, seems to be the one Jesus recommended, is a painful act of sacrificial generosity. (laughs) Now, not everyone will do that. Not everyone will take me up on that. But that is actually the, the quickest way to get yourself rattled enough that God might make a point, that God might be, make some, some clear message available to your heart so you can grow. And another course of action, of course, is praying. Can you be praying for your, regularly for your hoarding heart, that your hoarding heart would change, that you'd begin to release, and, and that it would happen, not because of some legalistic reason or because of some preacher telling you something, but because the treasure of God showed up. And you can pray for that. Let's pray now. Dear God, we pray that you give us your miraculous help because we need it. May your treasure show up in this community, that there may be signs 
of your generosity to us that are exhibited in this community. Signs that might rival even with Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and with this widow in the temple. May there be some fruit in this community of your treasure showing up. Um, I pray that this may happen during this Christmas season as the, as the pressure mounts and materialism and consumerism become personified and celebrated. May you move us towards giving rather than spending. And as we look into a new year, we don't know what city life's needs will look like, but we know for a fact that all it would take was for your treasure to show up in our hearts and for um, even just, a, even just a, a couple notches increase in percentage of generosity um, would make all the difference and probably have us in a place next fall that would be um, a lot more secure than we have been in this fall. But whatever the case may be, we're asking for your activity of grace to happen in this community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.